So Nini, how are you doing, mate? Because the last time we spoke, actually in sort of time and weeks, wasn't actually that long ago, but knowing Chelsea this summer, uh, we're doing a lot of crazy business and a lot actually has happened. I believe we've officially confirmed three signings since we last spoke, uh, including one very big signing as well. Um, how are you feeling about this ridiculous summer transfer window? Honestly, man, I am so ready for this season. I'm so excited for this season. This is like all my hopes and dreams just coming alive this season. I've I've said for ages, listen, our plan has to be that we use our academy and sign the very best positions that we can't fill. We've done that this window to stupendous effects. You know, we, we've we've signed the right players with the right profile to you know improve our attacking play too. And for the prices we're signing all these players for too is absolutely unreal. We're not like we're not paying above the odds. You know, for most of them, we're actually buying these players for the prices that we want to buy them for. Havertz in particular. I mean, one of the biggest surprises is that he cost twenty million less than we all expected, which is absolutely unreal business for Marina. And um, honestly, just uh, it just it just feels surreal. Like as Chelsea fans, like we don't deserve something like this. You know what I mean? Like, we're not kind of used to having this type of like level of attacking quality player. And I'm just like, like historically, we've always kind of been more pragmatic in that sense you know we, we rely more on things like spirit and like the mental part of the game and strength and working hard and like seeing this current Chelsea team now it's like completely alien to like anything we've I think we've kind of seen before you know we've got a team that's kind of on the same caliber of like a Man City in terms of like the profile of these attacking players we're signing and how we want to play too so uh, I've, I, I'm really excited because I feel like I'm going to learn a ton this season and I feel like this season, people should will finally realise, oh, crap, Frank Lampard is a great young manager, one of the best in the world right now. And he knows what the hell he's doing. So honestly, man, this season, I'm ready for it. <laughs> this window really, I think, has broken sort of all my expectations because even in the run-up to it, we know Chelsea were probably going to do something big this window, or at least going to try and strengthen after the ban. But I still wanted to sort of, you know, temper my expectation because of, Firstly, the pandemic, which changed a lot of you know things, and there was so much talk about how COVID was going to impact team spending. But also, just naturally, with the way transfers worked, or at least the way I thought they worked in terms of getting your first choice targets, usually one of those doesn't come off. You know, I always felt that you know there was at least one of those big names, whether it be Kai Havertz, Ben Chilwell, or you know Timo Werner earlier in the window. You know, somehow Chelsea would have to be a bit more pragmatic with the signings. And it's it's crazy to me how we've got all of those big targets over the line. I mean, what, what do you think is, has been the biggest sort of signing this window, like in terms of your sort of expectation going into it? For me, I have to say Hakim, Hakim Ziyech, I'd probably say. And the reason for that is that we're signing a player that's in his prime, you know, 27 years old. You know, he's been strategic. He's waiting for the right time to leave Ajax and move on to the next stage of his career. And um, even seeing his influence in that Brighton friendly. I mean, just some of the quality balls already. Three amazing pass balls that, you know, it's the type of delivery we have seen and we don't really have. I just think it will. he will have a massive impact for this team. He'll be one of those guys that will be like the glue that will help maybe the other guys play better too. And um, I guess expectations are a bit higher just based on the fact that, you know, he is the more experienced one out of the players we've signed. 
I, I do I do agree. And I think that that was the surprising thing for me about Ziash. It just came out of absolutely nowhere. Like there was, it just, within a couple of days it was done. And it, especially considering it was so early and, you know, and, and the window hadn't opened yet. What was it, February? Just, you don't yeah. see Chelsea do that. And that, that was something that was quite surprising to me. Um, I guess the cool thing now is is the season started. So, you know, in terms of theorizing about new signings, we can actually start to see some of these signings actually play for the first team. And of course, the Brighton game on Monday, the 3-1 win, um, it wasn't exactly the blockbuster game that I think people were hoping it would be like almost a sequel to the Burnley game in 14-15 with Fabregas and Costa. Um, It was quite underwhelming, I think, in parts, definitely. And, you know, I think there was a sense this team is still going to take time to gel and, you know, we, we didn't have any pre-season. Sort of your thoughts on the game? Because, I mean, in the end of the day, it's an opening day win, which we didn't have last season. Yeah. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, in, in football, I like all like parts of the game. You know, sometimes I feel like not every game has to be like this super free-flowing, attacking, you know, extravaganza. You know, sometimes you can appreciate the different parts of the game. And, you know, for me... I think for quite a lot of people too, the thing that really stood out the most was just how structured we looked, just how more defensively solid we looked. And it was one of those games where maybe last season we don't get that win because I felt like last season, if we weren't playing our like very best game, you know, we had to play out our best every time just to get three points, which really told you like the the struggles of last season. But I think uh, for this season, you know, things should. Uh, hopefully be even more because it seems like we're adding more to our game. It's not just about attacking better because you have better individual players. It's now that the team looks a bit organised and I guess maybe this is the effect of the, uh, you know, Anthony Barry, the, uh, the new uh, coach that we brought in who works on the, uh, you know, the positional side, the, the pressing sides. I guess the defensive side in that sense, you know, not in like the, uh, you know, work with the defenders type of defensive coach, but, you know, the team press, off the ball, I thought we looked solid. Brian didn't really create too much against us. Uh, and, um, you know, we had a counter-attacking presence too. So this was a professional win. I saw great work rate. Work rate. I saw great willingness, desire, you know, especially from, you know, Huck Havertz, who's not even known for his defensive ability. I'm going on AER runs back, you know, sliding in, getting stuck into things straight in his first Premier League game after like six training sessions, barely any time. I think it tells you everything you need to know about you know, the level of desire Lampard's getting out of these players. And uh, I just think that, you know, people think that we're going to be a better team just because of attacking players. I think they'll be surprised because we have more to our game now. So, yeah. I think that those things for me were when you actually looked at the stats after the game of, you know, 48% possession, which, you know, wasn't that sort of uncommon under Jose and under Conte. You know, I think there was a you know, you were so used to Chelsea winning games with a lack of possession, you know, but really being clinical. And that's something we desperately lacked last season. And I think, I think the point you make is absolutely fair that I think when you actually look at the game, look at the context of the game, the fact we had about five to six players that are probably going to be big players this season, not even there for the game. Yeah. And with the likes of Pulisic, Kovacic, Ziyech, Silva, of course, Mendy, I'm sure is about to sign as well. Um, You got to put that in context as well. So, and as well, I think if we can be more clinical, you know, you aren't going to get no no title winner, even if we can't win a title this year. No title winning side has 10 out of 10 games every week. No, you know, you can yeah. never show me a team. Even Man City in that brilliant season under Pep a few years ago, they still had to grind out some wins. And I, I think probably yeah. Frank Lampard will look at it and go, if we can have that sort of 
you know, mentality and being able to bounce back, I think that's going to be an important thing this season. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I could really just like go on and on and on with this first question. And I feel like we would really just, this would be like a three hour type of stream. So <laughs> I, I guess my last point I'd say is uh, I was impressed by the fluidity that we're trying to show now. Mm. Different in-game formations, you know, very dynamic. I like that. I think that's kind of like an advanced way of playing. And I think that's one of the main reasons why we specifically targeted the players we did. Mm. You know, I've said for a while, you know, we're signing players like Kai that can play this position, that position. You know, Varna can play here, there. Don't sit in the traditional sense that, okay, let's say, for example, Pulisic's out injured, then Varna will play on the left because he can play there. See it more deeper than that. See it as, okay, we're signing players that will allow us to... Uh, change our formations in game dynamically who are suitable playing in different areas rotating moving interchanging which is something i knew that lampard's obviously wanted to bring and do because you know a lot of these things is what we've been doing in our academy this is this is what i've been trying to say for a while and with our academy the reason why it's so successful isn't just isn't just solely due to the individual class of the young players but it's a combination of the ridiculous tactics and coaching that went alongside that. I think that's how success works in football. You can't just have one or the other. You need to have both working together if you yeah. want to see special things, if you want to start winning things too. And this is how we'd play. You know, we'd be dynamic with our back threes, our four four twos, our four two three ones. And it, 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 for me, just seeing the success at our youth level, I knew that it could be applied to a first team level if we really bought into that philosophy as we're doing now. So it's very exciting. I think the thing you bring up about youth really uh, goes into sort of my next question and, and talking point about Reese James, because of course, Reese, that absolutely in incredible strike on Monday night against Brighton. Um, I think that, you know, you think about like the Fakayo Tomori strike last season at one goal of the season, and um, you hope maybe that will be one of the strikes of the year. And, you know, if that doesn't win one, if that doesn't one of the top contenders, by the end of the season for goal of the season we've had an amazing yeah. year we really have um about reese because i think he falls into a similar category of say mason mount and tammy abraham and hudson adoy of being almost forgotten about this window because people expect because of all the new signings that they'll naturally be shifted to the side i think reese for me is is the opposite of that i think that the signings will only help elevate a player like reese james game and, and i think you saw glimpses of that last season um how vital do you think Reese James is to, to Frank Lampard this year? I think uh, Reese has been one of the most vital players because the fullbacks in the system are very important. Now, from when last season Lampard, you know, when uh, Reese was still out with his injury before he played first in football, you know, Lampard was already kind of, you know, speaking about him in advance, kind of just hinting towards his, the impact he was going to have in the first team due to the qualities that Reese has because. You know, our academy produces, I think, you know, elite fullbacks and wingbacks for the modern game. Mm. You know, I think we just produce, we have so much quality, quality that we don't even keep that, you know, Aina just signed for Fulham. Lamptey, you know, he's going to have a great Premier League career too. Mm. We've got other youngers still in the academy too. Liveramento, next one is to blow. It feels like we know how to produce our own fullbacks that we need for our team. And with mm. Reese, you know, he is that you know, archetypal type of fullback you need in the game. You know, someone that is comfortable receiving the midfield, that can make those inverted runs when he needs to create the overloads out wide. 
he has a bonus where I think he's great one on one. And I, you know, some of the criticism he got last season, especially during the restart periods, are slightly more difficult. But just because things look more difficult doesn't mean that Reese struggled. I mean, if you look at those games, a lot of times he came out on top of those duels anyway. And I think that was a sign to see to be like, okay, wow, this guy really is the real deal. He's not just, uh, you know, he's not just great at a few things. He's a serious player. And, you know, when I was comparing like Reese to Lamptey, obviously Lamptey in his own right is a uh, top young up, uh, up and coming uh, fullback. But you can kind of already see the difference in levels between him and Reese James. Like seeing Reese, I mean, he's barely played what fifty games in the Premier League. He looks like he's a seasoned pro for God knows how many years. Mm. And just seeing how he play in the game, like he's his confidence, his assurance. You know, he he knows what to do at the right time. His quality is more consistent. All those types of things that you can see compared to Lamptey. I was just like, okay, I understand why he was sacrificed in a sense. But you know, f- for this season in particular, especially with how we're you know, going to be creating even more overloads down the flanks. You need to have a fullback like Reese. And this season felt like to me like this was going to be the final one we'd see Aspie as yeah. a first team fullback because he did his part for us last season to great effect. You know, uh, near the end, too, he was low key one of the, the best players in the end. But if you want to play this new style of football, Aspie just doesn't fully complement that. So he'd have to go back to the backup role. So I think the fact that Reese is already been able to get a first team sport over you know one of the new like modern day legends in Aspie I think it's, it tells you everything you need to know about his quality and how Lampard trusts him and needs him in the team I felt for me the goal of course was just you know individual brilliance and it came at a moment when the team needed it which I think says a lot about James's character to be able to step up at that moment because there was a sense the momentum of the game was very much shifting in one direction negatively for Chelsea um, but I also felt I loved seeing Reese James centrally, as you said, going, you know, drifting inwards to central midfield, which is a position he's played in in his career before. But I, I feel that's a very important thing for me. I think both attacking and defensively, um, because I think that it just, you know, can maybe add that extra man in midfield sometimes to protect yeah. against transitions. Yeah. And as we saw, he's got a strike on him. And I think when he goes into actually, of course, we know he can go and overlap as well. But I actually think when he goes into more central areas, it also creates sort of, great positions for crossing opportunities as well. I remember a few times last season where he, you know, crossed from more central areas, which really created a lot of good, good opportunities for Chelsea. Um, of course, England have now got so many ridiculous right backs. Um, it, it's a big question. Do you think Rhys James can become England's best right back in the coming years? Um, I, I definitely think so. I think maybe when Rhys earns that spot in the England first team, that will come maybe after some time. And I think that definitely... Uh, you know what? It doesn't su- surprise me. Lampard's, I'm sure, it's my own past observation, but I'm sure he's looking at the national team too. You know, he's looking at the club. He knows that he has, uh, you know, some great young English talents that are going to be potential mainstays in that national team. And if you have both the fullbacks in a Ben and Reese being your number one for club and country, I think that boosts Reese's opportunities to be that that first team right back and. I don't know, when you analyse his overall game, it's not just based on like a, a bias or something, because I think that right now in this country, it's been like a golden age in terms of uh, fullback production and quality that's coming out. Um, but I look at his other rivals, Bambasaka, I think he's a great defensive fullback. Offensively, not the same. 
I look at uh, Arnold's. I think, uh, do I even really even really see him as like a fullback? I'm, I kind of see him as like a wide playmaker. Not gonna lie, I kind of, I think he he is so unique in terms of like how he plays that I don't know. I guess kind of like fullback-ish, but at the same time, we've seen over how many seasons that defensively at times, it's like, I don't know. I get the vibe that it's just like, oh, I'm too good to get back. Or, or I don't know. He's not as solid. You can run at him and get past him. But I think with Reese, I just think due to his physical presence, his aerial presence, I mean, he won a ton of aerial balls against Brighton too. And his ability to stick with his man. He has that anticipation going in hard, strong, closing down the spaces instantly. That I feel like he could be the best one and just to end this point I kind of see him as like the English versions of like your Philip Lums and your Kimmiches I think mm. uh, you know you need players with that profile tactically flexible that know how to fill different positions too for your manager and if you're as hopefully England get a serious national team manager that's what I'm hoping for because I think the bottleneck's always going to be that okay we have all these sick talents but there's no proper team because we're using you know like 4 4 or just ship formations basically mm. So I do think Reese. I think he will probably become, you know, our number one English uh, right back in the future. I think that mm. his overall game, he has more to his game in both parts than some of the other uh, rivals. It's interesting you bring up uh, Lam because I, I've been currently reading uh, Pep Confidential, which is a you know great book on Pep's first season at Bayern. And how you know it's, you know it's infamous now. He moved Philip Lahm from right back into central midfield, and you know how that was such a big part of, of being the midfield creativity, and you know the way Pep wants to implement his style of football at Bayern. And you speaking about versatility and fluidity, I, I think you know Reese James fits into the profile of that as well. You know he can, as we saw the other night. You know we had to take off Jorginho, bring on Dave. He can shift in at right back, and then you can just literally shift Reese James into central midfield, and it's it's absolutely fine. And, you know, as we're saying with Alexander-Arnold, I think Alexander-Arnold potentially later on in his career could develop into a wide player. Like if, if you want to play him out wide, say in a front three to really get his attacking elements out. But also maybe as a mid midfielder, that's been touted a lot. And that could help Reese James to get into the England team more. So Yeah, yeah. I think even Reese being used as a midfield option. I guess maybe last season, I don't want to... No, I can't say I would disappoint him because obviously... I was hoping to see Reese maybe in midfield a few more times, but I understood, understood that, okay, you know, we needed him at right back for the team. But, um, you know, for the England national team, you know, you have English players now that can fulfill different in-game, uh, you know, things when you need them to. So hopefully we can find a manager that's going to, like, you know, use the best qualities of these guys and find the right system to actually get the best out of all of them. That That is the aim. I mean, Southgate and England, that's another whole sort of debate. And I think that... Unfortunately, that's a lot of that's out of you know control and sort of circumstance. And the hope is, I think with a lot of these players, my thing is it's a bit like Chelsea, right? It's having that coherent vision, you know, when you yeah. go into a tournament. And I think England have lacked that. I actually think you know Gareth Southgate's got much closer to other coaches recently in, at England yeah. level than say Roy Hodgson did ever did in terms of a cohesive unit. But as you say, I mean, especially with younger players like Rhys James, you don't want them to go to England. And there's not really a coherent plan, and they get really scrutinised. And it's you know yeah. it's, it's it's not the, the players' fault. It's they're not in the right role, or they're not you know in the right system to really elevate their game. So yeah. I, I do think Reese James definitely this season will, if he keeps his form up, if I think he if he stays fit, I think he'll he will be the main right back this year. I've no yeah. doubts. I, I think so. I think um, yeah, he's definitely going to be our first team right back. It's quite clear. Mm -hmm. Lampard's been praising him, especially after that buying game and we lost the second leg. I thought he was our standout yeah. again that looks comfortable mm. 
on their level. And I think I've been seeing all these small signs and tests that Reese has been passing. And uh, for me, I think we've got a very special player that could potentially be a legend for the club one day. Um, moving on to some of those big signings we started talking about with Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. Um, I remember you doing your predicted 11 for the season, for this season, like your, you know, your dream lineup for the season quite a few months back. Um, and I remember you putting Kai Havertz in that 11 as a number 10 in a 4-2-3-1. And I remember at the time people saying, oh, you know, we're not, we're not going to sign Kai Havertz. And I was quite doubtful at the time. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know if you've got any sort of inside information or you've got Marina's number so you can sort of like <laughs> dial up and sort of say, we're, we're going in for Kai Havertz. I mean, Havertz to me is the biggest surprise of, of this window simply because um, I didn't think his type of like the midfield if you're really prioritizing signings I just didn't think he was going to be like a midfielder creative midfielder was going to be a main priority this season but there's a sense this is an Eddie Hazard level signing for Chelsea and he can be the poster boy of Chelsea he can really define his error at Chelsea a bit like Hazard did um what can you what can you see Havertz offering to Chelsea moving forward because I think the potential is absolutely huge I think, I mean, yeah, this is what I mean by the potential. It's huge. I think there's so many different talking points. Uh, of course, you know, signing a player like this who can literally play in so many different positions for a high level. I mean, you know, playing out wide in midfield as a false nine to moving up front. I guess having him gives you that super dy- dynamic fluidity. Sorry about that in the final third that you want. And, uh, you know, obviously Kai's one of the profile of players that can bring that. Um, you know, with Havertz, I think he can be a special player. I think you look at his height, 6'2". He's really fast. He's really great in the air as well. You know, he can play those, like, deaf, lofted balls with the perfect weight. He can make those perfectly timed runs up behind. He can, maybe he's a bit more left-footed right now. But, you know, I definitely feel like he can even master his uh, shooting technique game too. And on top of that, you know, we're seeing a desire for him to press, work hard, defend for the team, which I think, I mean, how how much more complete do you want to possibly be? You know, it's kind of unfair at this point in time, you know. So I do think that, uh, you know, with Kai, you know, we can't even forget, you know, shout Alex Goldberg, the byline, obviously had on, uh, I think, Honigstein back in January. And of course, for a long time, it was all about Jaden Sancho, Jaden Sancho. Now, even during that period, I was hearing things like you know, there's a potential that his price is just so high that we're, we're not even looking at him all the way back in that December, which was like looking like, yeah, you know, obviously in hindsight, that was correct. And obviously Havertz was like, obviously one that we've been following since last season. And obviously, I think, you know, the byline were kind of the first ones really just announced how concrete the interest was. And, and when that came, I kept hearing things too that really just supported Claims that, okay, he was like the next number one big target that we are going to go after really hard. And that's why when I made the video, I just kind of got the vibe and sense that, okay, based on the money we have, based on, you know, signing like your Werners and et cetera, et cetera, based on the fact that your other European rivals can't spend, I got the vibe that this was like a dead guarantee that we would be signing Kai. And considering... I know the negotiations were long, but, you know, once you cover like chance news for a while, you start to see certain patterns behind, like, what, you know, what certain quotes mean, what certain things are said, you know, how things are going to play out. So then you can make educated guesses. And I think the moment that, um, obviously, it was obvious that Leverkusen were hoping to get a Champions League football of some sort, because if they did, I'm sure Havertz would have cost an extra 20 mil straight. They would have got their original 100 mil uh, valuation, but that was never the case because they messed up. And the minute that happened, you just felt like, okay, we are going to be getting our man. 
But, you know, as I was saying, I'm just so surprised just how, you know, how reduced that fee was compared to the original price Leverkusen did want. So, uh, you know, it's, this is a player similar to Hazard where there's a clear, like, plan. And I think with Havertz's case, I think there's more of a plan and more of a, a willingness to obviously, you know, push through with things and really take us to that level compared to how it was when Hazard uh, first signed for us. I mean, yeah, we signed, you know, great attacking players like your Rosters, your Moseses, Scherlers, all these young guys. But, you know, was there like a proper plan in the sense compared to how it is with this season? I don't think so. So uh, I think that Havertz is in a better environment now that can probably take him to the next level compared to what Hazard was able to do, where, you know, I'm going to sound controversial, but for me personally, I've always felt like Hazard was just naturally just a great player for the moment we signed him. Can you really say that his game went up like a different level from like his first debut season? I'm not too sure, to be honest. I I did get encouraged reading about from Simon Johnson in the Athletic after we signed him that it had been a long-term target. And I'm sure like there's so many players on a list at Chelsea that they're scouting, right? But yeah. I think that it wasn't just a luxury signing. It wasn't just a signing that, oh, he became available. There was actually a plan that the club really sold the vision to habits. And as well, once again, Frank Lampard, you know, once again, convincing a player. But for me, it wasn't just a case of, this is a great talent and people rating him as like, could be one of the top three players in the world in the coming years based on his potential. Yeah. But it was also to me like basics of Chelsea's midfielders lacked goals for a number of years now. And I know that Havertz very much developed the creative side of his game last season at Leverkusen, whilst the season before that, he was much more goal orientated. But I think that that's the thing for me, Chelsea have desperately lacked. And I think Frank as a coach just naturally will look in that midfield and think, I need goals there because, you know, you can't always be relying on, say, a Christian Pulisic or, a, you know, a Timo Werner. And, and I think another thing, as, as it links into the way Lampard wants to play, when you've got a player like Timo Werner who drifts left, my worry when I was watching that preseason friendly was, OK, Timo drifts left. I think that's exciting. But my worry is, are there any players with the goal-scoring instinct to va- like fill that position when Werner vacates it? And I think Havertz is going to be that player. You even saw glimpses on Monday where Mount hit a ball over to Havertz and he was making that run in, in, inside. And I think that once he gets accustomed to playing at Chelsea, I think there's going to be a, a serious player there that I think... And, and this is another thing on top of that. I, it's a simplistic comparison, but a bit like the way Costa and Fabregas almost like the Spanish connection, uh, helping Chelsea to a Premier League title. Do you think Havertz and Timo Werner can do similar, a Premier League or a Champions League, maybe? I think that is interesting. I think with, obviously, Costa and Cesc, maybe, like, the creative influence in the team was a lot more structured and more rigid compared to how it is right now. So, I guess, yeah. But, um, to be honest, man... You know, I'd have to see some more games to really get a vibe. Mm. I, I I just have this vision which I've had for like many many like for a long last time to be honest that it is going to be really fluid and it's going to be fully dependent on what happens in game. So this is the genius about having players that can play in different positions very easily is that they all kind of understand when to do that themselves without having to be fully coached. And I think that's the difference between like you know top great players and good ones is, is that extra you know, mental ability to know, you know, how to handle yourself and what to do. So, I don't know. I see combinations like, I don't know, Ziyech and, uh, and, and Vana. I can see that. I can see combinations like, uh, you know, Kai and Vana, you know, Kai and Ziyech. I, I can see all these different ones that, I don't know, I'd have to, 
see a few more games for yeah. us before I can really find out who's like the main, you know, the main guys. But yeah. just defensively, I also think, you know, another one of the signings since we last spoke, Thiago Silva, which was, I think, you know, talk about surprising signings. I think, you know, that one absolutely came out of nowhere and, and we're sort of thinking about centre-backs and Jimenez and, and of course, De- Declan Rice was touted as a centre-back option. And the hope is maybe Thiago Silva could add something that we lacked last season in terms of maturity and danger awareness. I mean, how important do you think Silva could be to this defence this year, rectifying the mistakes of last season? Um, I think he... You know, I, I don't want to be a bit realistic. I'll, obviously... The vibe I get from Silva is that he's like one of those old school defenders, similar to like your, you know, your John Terry's, your Puyos, could you say your Chiellini's, I guess, your Gordons, the type of defenders where whoever plays alongside them automatically is going to look even better. And that's because they have the authority, they have the respects, they're excellent tacticians that know when to move up, when to stay in line, how to control and marshal a defence as well. And I think that is one thing that Silva does bring. So, you know, last season, Lampard realised that, OK, for my system, because we defend on the counter-attack, I need defenders that are good 1v1. So that's why Tamori's Zuma looks really good. But at the same time, when it came to playing out from the back at times, Tamori showed quite a few signs of youthful inexperience, I think. And um, Lampard realised, OK, I need to make a change. But So I guess I have to turn towards a Rudiger, who, I, you know, who is known for his ball playing out from the back. Hopefully, he'll bring that balance and that experience too, where you know he's vocal, he speaks to people, and that's one thing that these young guys have not been bringing. But you know, with Rudiger, I think Lampard realised quite quickly that he's a good player, and that's it. He's just a good player. He's not like a a top four, like wow, what a colossus Rudiger is type of guy. So uh, I think this is why Thiago Silva made a ton of sense. I think he will effectively replace a Rudiger because I think he's like better experience, better quality, and you know, Silva's not uh, any rate, you know. I can't say regular 35-year-olds. There's not too many of them playing at this level. But, I mean, this is a guy who's up there with Ronaldo in terms of looking after his body. I mean, to me, he looks like he's still, like, late 20s. That's how no wrinkle in his forehead, no injuries, no stress. He looks phenomenal in uh, in the UCL. And that was literally, like, what, a month and a half ago. So, yeah, I feel very optimistic about him. I, I think it was one of those signings where, like, we, we talk about, like, first-choice targets. I think it was one of those signings a bit like probably Mendy's going to be, where it's a bit more opportunistic and pragmatic, where you see an opportunity arise for a player with a lot of experience. And I think he's a motivated player. I was, I was listening to some podcasts, and we were talking about him, and he's motivated to captain Brazil at the next World Cup, you know, still be there, still be at the top of his yeah. game. And that's, you know, we... It's, it's very basic to say, but I think we lacked no-nonsense defending last year. We lacked someone just... The amount of times a ball went into the box and just static defending, you know, just a lack of concentration. And I just hope that yeah. Thiago Silva, as you've stated, will raise the, the game of other, other players. Um, yeah. I just want to ask you as well about Declan Rice, because you did bring up Declan Rice. Um, I think the transfers, I think, maybe beyond Chelsea's reach in this window. I do think it will happen. Can, can you see Declan Rice being a Chelsea player this window? Because I just think that fee is just too much. I think it depends. I think uh, with Declan, I've been saying for a while, I wouldn't be surprised if a January move came or a move for the next season. Um, because I think as the club are clearly showing, listen, we, we're in a position now where we know we can sign who we want to sign. But to get them, we are going to sign them when it's the best time for us. And if, if the club are like, okay, we're West Ham, things are very difficult to get this deal secured. And but um, I don't know. I just think that with uh, with West Ham, 
as time goes on, especially at the end of the window, I think they'll feel more pressure because I think by that time, maybe there's like a few more games played in the league. Let's say they're right at the bottom. More like uh, unhappiness behind the scenes. That could be the perfect recipe to sign Rice in that moment. And of course, if that's the case, you know, Marina's already thought about, you know, 10 different hypotheticals for when to make a move. So, listen, I, I feel right now, man, based on this window, if we want to get someone, we'll get them. So, that's the energy I got. I think I would just, I will never play a career mode again if we sign Declan Rice. <laughs> I just, there's no point anymore. Like, it's just, you know, because I, I will never be able to replicate, you know, real life is career mode now for me with Chelsea. Um, I think the interesting thing with Rice, though, for yeah. me is, is this conflict when you're reading about Rice and why Chelsea want him, why Lampard's interested in him. Um, and I know you've talked about this on your channel before, it is centre-back or central defensive midfielder. And to me, at first, I was like, before we got Silver, I was like, okay, yeah, centre-back, maybe there's a reason why we want to play him there because he's got the technical skills, he's got the leadership as well. He can, you know, in terms of possession, I think he's the type of defender you want for Chelsea. But there was just that concern for me that he hasn't been playing as a central yeah. defender he's been playing as a defensive midfielder and I just wonder balancing that in that midfield is so key and I think it's key to defending as well I think part of the big problem last year was transitions and the space yeah. between centre backs and central defensive yeah. midfielder do you think actually if we do sign Declan Rice he will be used in his position that he's currently playing in rather than shifted back to a centre back role um, I think he'll probably be using midfield. So I wouldn't be surprised if he played alongside, you know, Kante at times, or even in the base, even in place of Kante. I think, uh, you know, whenever Kante wasn't playing last season, that really messed up how our midfield could perform. And I think the game versus uh, Arsenal in the FA Cup really summed that up. I think if Kante played that game, he would have won. And it would have been quite a comfortable one, uh, win, to be honest. So I think Rice, yeah, I see midfield. And I know that there's been talks of centre-back, centre-back, maybe in the future. But I don't know. Like, I can't remember a time where a young player has made his name playing as a midfielder for so long that by the time they're 23, they get moved into defence. I don't know if it... Maybe, I mean, we've seen with, with Mascarano and players like that. Yeah, and I guess if you're going to play really high-line defensive line, there's probably an additional bonus you get from using like a you know, a guy that can play in that role too. So, you know, it is going to be interesting to see. And it's the type of, you know, we sign players that can give us three, four possibilities every single time. I think that's the great thing. We just have so many options that I feel like if we have injuries this season, we can still cope, which is a great thing. And I think that's the difference between us from last season and this season now. So, yeah, man, Rice, let's hope West Ham, the, uh, you know, they keep fumbling things and messing things up behind you know, I don't know. I, I get the vibe. I've always felt like January could be the time to sign Rice. I think, obviously, England, he want to play for them. West Ham will probably be right near the bottom of the table is the vibe I'm getting to. They might be forced to, like, yo, I need to bounce and keep things moving. And I invest someone like, okay, cool. You know, give us 50 mil now. Marina, she ain't going to, like, just throw money at a player just she's going to be a tough negotiator and she she's going to try and get that feed down as you know to i think that's the amazing thing about the habits deal i mean if you're initially paying 61 million for kai habits that to me is absolutely ridiculous when yeah. you look at players last summer in their prime like pepe going for 75 million i mean yeah. i think it just shows you how well marina has done just continuously like over and over and over again she's been able to just pull off masterstrokes in in you know and and you know, I think this is something that probably people outside of Chelsea 
don't get is is Chelsea want to be a self-sustainable club, which may seem laughable to other people when they think about Roman, you know, bankrolling the club or whatever. But this is what Chelsea want to be. They, that's her role. It's about selling and it's about buying. And she's been just incredible about that. I mean, just a little bit on Marina, because I think she deserves yeah. so much credit this summer, because I think a few years of, of great work have come to fruition for, for the business we've done. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree, man. Uh, I definitely think that Marina has shown lots of grace and signs of I'm going to be the very best I can be. You know, I don't think she makes the same mistakes too often. And I feel like this window is kind of like a masterstroke in a sense that this is like someone who has kind of perfected her craft in a sense, you know. Like, uh, we've been in situations like this before where we fumbled Lukaku's and Allison's, etc. And I felt like all those lessons have been learned, rectified, found proper solutions to them and that's why we've just had a, a stupid window like we've just had this season like this is this is like a career mode type of window where you know you might find it hard to replicate this playing with your football managers or fifas you know what i mean like and this is real life we're seeing this so yeah i think excellent planning but you know what this i don't know I, let me ask you this i guess this awfully depends on obviously are we capitalizing on fortune in the sense that the transfer ban if we never got this ban would we, would we be seeing any of this right now I, I don't know and you know i don't know if it's a concern or maybe it's just something just to think about as a hypothetical but it is kind of like this is literally happening in the space of what, what two seasons which is like a year and a bit this type of transformation like we there's a chance we never would have seen this if it wasn't for a ban and it seems absolutely crazy that we had all the right structures in place to get to this level in a year and a half. And we might not have done that because we would have held on to, you know, the stupid, outdated ways of uh, of doing things. Mm. I think there was a combination of things like the, I think, the 2017 transfer window, the fallout with Conte, um, I think Sarri. I think, you know, I think there was a lot of things that all happened very quickly that maybe internally in the club, made them rethink about the way they were going about things, um, yeah. which I think helped. I Literally, the moment that transfer ban was announced, I actually felt this could be a blessing in, dis in disguise for us because I felt that mainly I felt the young players would finally actually get a chance. But I didn't even think at the time Lampard would be employed as manager, you know, and, and that's, that's what happened. And I think it was a culmination of things. I think they probably saw, you know, we keep on getting these coaches in, foreign coaches that don't click with the club, that are here for short amounts of time, we, you know, the lack of studying over a coach, I think, was a big problem with both Sarri and Conte. I mean, Conte did win us a Premier League title, but, you know, the second season was a disaster. There was, you know, it left the club in a very yeah. bad position. And I think that bringing in Lampard, bringing in Czech as well, I think has been a key part of this, you know, almost that yeah. middleman, like, because we lost Emanalo and that middleman between the coach and the board to, 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 like, get a coherent vision going because... And as well, domestically, probably Roman and the club seeing Liverpool and Man City, all the great work they've done over a number of years. I think I think that was the thing. I, I do yeah. agree with you. It needs to now be, it needs to be consistent for me. There are certain principles yeah. that need to be maintained for the next five to 10 years for me. It's young players getting opportunities, yeah. um, a, a, like a settled recruitment plan of actually what type of, what profile player are we getting? And does this profile suit a style of football that we want to play? I think yeah. those are things that, for me, are big. And, of course, we're not going to find those things out until giving it a couple of years. But but I think it is very positive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with your sentiment, man. I'm really hoping that things we're seeing now 
aren't just going to be one-offs that or, or or like moments of circumstance this is just like okay this is the club we will be for the foreseeable future this is how we're going to run things and do things because i don't see why it's impossible to become a dynasty club for me the dynasty clubs like your Bayerns, your madrids your bosses where every decade they are competing you know that is for me that has to be the goal because once you reach that level you know you're you're just like an absolute superpower and i think they're not too far from that if we can win things in the right way that'll go a long way in just changing the overall look and profile of, of how we're seeing. Because if, if you consider, you know, this next decade could be absolutely unreal. Like, I get a vibe that we'll probably get the, uh, you know, we'll probably see a new stadium within these next 10 years. I think one that coincides with the new superstar team too. That's, that's just, uh, I mean, marketing gold. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, can I just ask you about the stadium? Because I... I... In some ways, exciting, but I do think it's a massive hurdle for the club and it's a massive problem for the club as well because, of course, they it's it's up in the air and it, I think that the, the halting of that project very much brought up the uh, the speculation about Roman's interest in the club. I think this yeah. year, of course, have, has quashed a lot of that now because, you know, why would Roman back a coach so... In, why would the board back a coach yeah. so emphatically? Like, Roman, of course, is, you know, we heard about yeah. his, his, his willingness to get Kai Havertz over the line. Yeah. Um, but this stadium thing, as we've seen with both two London clubs, examples now, Liverpool and Tottenham, um, of how it, you know, there there are problems with that and how it's going to impact you financially in the transfer market. And I think Chelsea have a big problem as well with planning permission of where they're actually going to put, whether it, you know, because it still seems quite conflicted over whether it's going to be the original plan of redeveloping Stamford Bridge. And that brings up all these problems of where we're going to relocate for a couple of years. Or actually, there's been talks recently about it being a new stadium in the local area in certain places. Um, do you think that's going to be a, although it can be exciting, do you think that's going to be a, a problem for the club in the coming years? I mean, potentially. I think obviously the cost of the stadium was just way too high. Could that be a combination maybe of like how ambitious the design looks? Because personally, man, after I saw that, that, that new type of like Coliseum feel, I'd be really disappointed if that wasn't the stadium that we eventually get. Because I just think it's so iconic looking already that if we're a club that I, th- I think we can be, just having an iconic looking stadium alongside and, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully an iconic team. I mean, that's just, that would just set us up forever. So, you know, it, it depends on like the market and obviously if it's like the right climate to invest and spend. It seems like things were really overinflated, like over a billion. Because obviously you've got to like, consider the cost. Like, of course, getting a stadium, you don't want to get profit like 50 years from now. You know what I mean? We want to we want, we start generating quite quickly. So I don't know. It, it fully depends. I'm not an expert on like, you know, property markets and, you know, values and stuff like that. But I guess those things will be factored in considered seriously and hopefully there'll be like the right environment to invest again where you know we really start to put these plans in motion but thank you so much mate for coming on the channel once again a great discussion um i know most people watching this will know where to find your channel but not only where can people find your work online but also what can people expect uh, coming up on your channel in the coming days well you know i need to keep things uh, real i mean having lots of issues with my pc i think it's like when it's final you know it's, it's on live support right now and yeah it has been a bit peak getting these videos out because so it's constant i've got sitting on that i can't really do nothing with which is you know it's been uh <laughs> 
I've been I've been swinging in the air over the past few days. It's out of absolute anger. But um, you guys, you know, you know what to expect from me. I like to bring considered opinions and thoughts. I'm not about the reactionary stuff. I think reaction and reactionary talk is kind of boring. I think after a while, you quickly realize there's patterns to how this dialogue and discussion is, where it's just boring at the end of the day so if you like consider talk where you know you get in depth think about new things explore like uh you know different subjects and i'm your guy <laughs>